here it is. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hey, this is Aaron from Pursuit of Thrills, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, this is Jake Kilko with Rocky Mountain Construction, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, I'm Robert Coker of Super 78 and the Season Pass Podcast, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. This is Tim Holleran from the Coaster Crew, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Coaster Challenge Podcast is here. It's time to face your fears. Get that theme park therapy and lend us both your Coaster ears. Challenge Podcast is here. Your fear can disappear. We know that theme park therapy can drive all your tears. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? We accept because you know we're not average. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. A journey where people become fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses and keep your hands and arms inside the podcast. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your host, Andrew Locke. Hi, Coaster Challenge listeners. This is Andrew, one of the producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast. And today I'm very excited. We have a very special guest here on the podcast. I am proud to welcome Adam Sandy from Zamperla. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thanks so much. We're glad to have you. We're gonna have a lot of fun talking today. So Adam, the first time I had heard about you was I was at IAPA last year, 2021, and certainly wanted to see what Zamperla had to say there and whatnot. And I saw you get, get up there and I didn't know who you were. And I just loved how passionate you were you know, you were introduced as the coaster guy at Zamperla, and you know, I've since have learned about you. So yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you because you know you're not just someone that happens to work in the industry, which is awesome, but you clearly are a fan as well. Perhaps even you might even call yourself an enthusiast. So looking forward to talking to you. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I was very lucky to kind of just turn my childhood passion into a job. And I don't think many people get to say that. So that's been just a really fun journey for me. That's awesome. That is fantastic. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, there's certainly some challenging days, you know, when the thing you enjoy is your work. But overall, right. it's it's been a lot of fun. And I think something that my kids are a little bit jealous of, or maybe they expect it's the norm. I don't know. But they just think their dad goes to amusement parks and rides roller coasters. I am getting them out of that train of thought. But it is fun, I think, to have them be part of my life, too. And I get to bring them to parks. So even kind of converting to a dad, it's been a really fun profession to have, certainly. Oh, that's cool. And how old are your kids? Six and 10. So they're getting to the age where they can start to understand that, no, dad just doesn't go to the parks to have fun. He's actually providing for the family and doing hard work. Okay. Well, we've kind of already started to talk about the first question that I always tend to ask our guests. Uh, certainly you can uh, get into a little more detail here. So you just go ahead and tell us about yourself and your experience working within the theme park industry. Sure. So, so like I said, I kind of just grew up interested in roller coasters. And for me, it was call it hobby, passion, whatever. And I kind of can't tell you why, but as a kid, a, a lot of boys are drawn to sports. So they've got sports people up on their walls. And for me, it was roller coasters. So I had Harry Traver and John Allen pictures, not lying <laughs> up on my walls. So I love coasters and, and I can't tell you why now. And I couldn't tell you why then, but it was just something that stirred inside me and, and just kind of drew my interest, both from the history perspective, the technology perspective, and I think just the fear perspective, kind of all those things together really pulled me in. 
And so I was, you know, just doing this as sort of a hobby until college. And at that time, I just said, I'd like to get in the amusement park industry. So in 2001, I joined what was then amusement business, which was a news weekly that served the industry. And then in 2004, I joined Ride Entertainment. And there I kind of wore a lot of hats. So I sold a lot of coasters, sold attractions, also sold our installation services, and also worked on some financial partnerships we did. So I did kind of a little bit of everything there. And then COVID hit uh, and affected our industry, obviously, very dramatically. And so I stepped back from Ride in 2020. And then uh, about a month after I left Zamperla called and said, hey, we're working on kind of revamping our coaster division. Would you like to be sort of the sales face of that? We have a huge team, but we need someone out front. And would you like that position? And I jumped at it. So I've been with them actually right about a year now. Nice. That's awesome. I'm glad, as you mentioned, you know, COVID certainly has affected the industry in a number of ways and not necessarily all bad, but certainly it's been a challenge. And, you know, I don't work in the industry, but I certainly volunteer in it. This is one of actually two podcasts I produce that's in the industry. And, you know, certainly as an enthusiast, I'm following the industry as well. And it's been an interesting ride for sure. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear that you know, while you had to step away from ride because of, of what happened with COVID, you were able to just bounce right back like that. That's awesome. And, and wind up at Simperla uh, helping them with the coasters, which we'll talk more about later. So that's awesome. By the way, whereabouts do you live? I know you said you just moved. I'm about to move. Yeah. yeah. So I'm actually in Baltimore. I moved here in 2004 for the job with Ride Entertainment. And just because I serve a global role, there was really no need for me to move to New Jersey for the Zamperla office there. So I work out of my house in Baltimore. Got it. Yep. I can relate. I don't work in the industry, but I work 100% remote and I can live wherever I want, which is awesome. And so, and Zamperla is based in New Jersey, you said, right? What part of New Jersey? Okay. So the U.S. office is in Boonton near Parsippany. So the, the U.S. office is there. And then our main headquarters is in Vicenza, which is about an hour west of Venice. Right. Of course. And it's uh, Alberto is the founder. Is that right? So the founder was actually Antonio, Antonio and then okay. Alberto is his son. And then Alberto's son, Antonio, is CEO uh, now. He took over about the same time I started with the company in uh, January last year as CEO. God, that's why I was thinking of Alberto, because I remember meeting him at, in 2019. He was at I. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that Zarin Perla's U.S.-based office is in the tri-state area, because one of the things that I think is really cool about Zarin Perla and why you guys kind of have a little bit of nostalgia preference for you guys versus other ride manufacturers. Growing up in New Jersey, going to Coney Island, and you know, you guys, what you've done with Luna Park and revitalizing it and it being a test bed for you. And I think that's so cool. And that's just kind of, again, it's more personal for me. It's because mm-hmm. Coney Island is one of my original home parks. So, oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for kind of going over kind of your brief overview. And obviously, we'll touch into you know, definitely dive into more details later. But before we get more into your experience, especially at San Perla, and maybe talk about some of the things that you guys have going on now, we're going to talk about you because as you pointed out, and as I alluded to, you yourself, you're passionate about this industry and you're working with that passion. So let's talk about your enjoyment of coasters and of the industry before we get into Sure. So uh, we'd like to get into the theme park time machine. And as part of this, we wind up always learning something new about each guest part of the mission of our podcast, which is to uh, basically uh, focus on theme park therapy and facing fears Mm -hmm. and and just positivity and all those types of things. So we'll get into that. So what was the first coaster that you ever rode in your life? 
The first coaster I rode was Glissade at uh, Busch Gardens Williamsburg. I was probably about two or three. It was probably 80 or 81. And my parents put me on. It was not really my choice. So that, that was my first coaster. I think it was a Schwarzkopf jumbo jet. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I've not heard of that one. The first time I ever went to Busch Gardens Williamsburg was about 86 or 87. The one mm -hmm. coaster I remember riding there was Big Bad Wolf. I was before I was an enthusiast. I wasn't doing Lupin coasters back then, but I love Big Bad Wolf. That's still my favorite arrow suspended, but it was so, an awesome yeah. ride. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I miss it. I miss it for sure. Okay. So talk to me about the one coaster in your life thus far that has scared you the most in terms of the anticipation and, you know, the anxiety leading up to riding it for the first time. Sure. So I, I rode Glissade when I was little and I kind of swore off coasters after that. So I was this interesting little kid that wanted to go to amusement parks, but didn't want to ride any big coasters. <laughs> so my, my, my parents weren't exactly thrilled about um, you know, doing that, but they, they did humor me quite a bit. So I'm very appreciative. But so I, I rode that and then I rode the River King Mine Train at Six Flags St. Louis. I grew up in St. Louis. And, oh, okay. but I didn't really ride anything bigger for a long time. And then I, when I was 12, for whatever reason, I just said, okay, I feel like I'm ready to take that step and ride a really big coaster. And so it was at my, actually my 12th birthday party, we went to Six Flags and I ended up closing out the night with my first ride on the Screaming Eagle. So it was just a wonderful experience. I was definitely scared, but kind of that, that moment where you feel you're ready to do it, but you're still nervous. And it was just, you know, beautiful summer evening, the chaser lights on the coaster just blinking on and off. And mm -hmm. it was just a huge memorable ride. And I was definitely very nervous and quiet as I got up to the station. But when I got back, you know, after we went through the course, I loved the ride and we pulled back in the station. I was like, now I just want to ride every roller coaster I can. You know, just kind of that transformation on that ride that really turned me from someone who is interested in coasters to like someone who also loved riding them got it okay so the screaming eagle he said it was a state low so that that was a uh, classic ptc so you know you were nervous about it but you conquered those fears and then when you got off of it you were just all about i want to conquer all the coasters now pretty much yeah it was, it was weird it was just like a, a switch was flipped like but i'd been so interested in them and hesitant to ride but just I had such a good time on it. It was sort of, for me, that nice balance of excitement, fun, and fear that right. I just wanted to go try more and see what they were like. Got it. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that first time that we really conquer our fears, like Santa Coaster, I hear the story again and again, and me, myself, I had the same experience where that, like you said, great, great way to put it, you know, you have that that switch that flips because uh, you know i had been on a few coasters in my life and i've told the story of my first you know real big coaster and what mm -hmm. made me an enthusiast effectively for me it, the, my scary thing i've never really been afraid of heights in my life it's really the inversions that was the thing that i had to conquer when i was younger okay and i won't come to all the details but my own one of my own parks of course in new jersey was great adventure and uh this is back in the late in the early 90s late 80s early 90s and I conquered my inversion fear. You would think I should have done it on something like lightning loops, which was still open back then, because that was only mm -hmm. one loop, although you go through it forwards and backwards. But I, I was at the whim of my friends, peer pressure, and the Great American Screen Machine, mm -hmm. which uh, I think had, what, seven inversions? Seven, like yeah, that. yeah. And I remember riding it that first time, and the fear became excitement, like, in that first loop. I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, this, oh, this is not bad at all. And, oh, wow, this is awesome. This is fun and thrilling. And then 
the switch, you know, when I got off the ride, that switch got, got flipped. And I told my friends, I said, take me to all of the coasters here. <laughs> all of the ones that go upside down. I don't care. Take me to all of them. Yeah. I want so, to ride everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting how fear can give way to, to passion, to excitement mm -hmm. and to doors being opened and just all by conquering fear. So very powerful. Talk to me about perhaps any other positive ways that theme parks and coasters have had on you. I mean, I'd say on the personal side, it's just been really nice because I've met a bunch of people of all ages. So that's been really cool. And, and I think also just watching kind of the technology of coasters and how it's made coasters different has been really interesting to me. And, and I really enjoyed that. Just, you know, things like limbs, LSMs, uh, the advance, advancements in lighter weight materials, just I'm not an engineer. Uh, I guess I know enough uh, math and science to be dangerous, but <laughs> you know, to me from the outside, I'm just amazed at what people can do with ride designs now. And I'm excited about pushing the envelope on that. I mean, we're even doing stuff and other people are too, but just like with an aluminum milled chassis where, you know, we're taking out the welds that were on traditional coasters. And now we're basically mill machining a block of aluminum into the chassis and just doing things like that, that mm. two decades ago, no one would have thought about. And it's to me, just some really cool technology being applied both on making coasters exciting, but also making them reliable. It's kind of across the board, roller coaster technology just kind of continues to improve by leaps and bounds. Yeah, no, that's very, very apt and a really good point. And I personally am an engineer and I don't work on coasters, but because I'm an engineer, because of my collegiate background, my work experience, I love how things work. I love, you know, basically all kinds of moving vehicles. I'm your typical, you know, guy engineer. I love sports uh -huh. cars. I love planes. I love trains and, you know, coasters and rockets. And yeah, so I love all that stuff. And so part of my interest in rides in general and coasters specifically uh, is related to just, I love moving vehicles and how they work mm -hmm. and the, the, just watching them, the kinetics of them. And, and yeah, so I, I can, I can relate on that. And yeah, the technology is incredible. Um, I, I, you know, especially living here in Florida the past, what, almost coming up on four years now with some of the coasters that have been installed here in the past few years and the technology involved with those and, and just, you know, certainly elsewhere as well. You know, it, it's sort of an idiom and overuse expression because you can almost say this is true a lot of times throughout history, but it's a great time to be a coaster enthusiast uh, despite COVID because there's mm -hmm. so much innovation and competition in the industry, which is good. So, um, yeah, and, and those engineering capabilities and technology, technological improvements, they're going to keep coming. We're, we're not done. So, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing I think we're working on stuff and other people are too, that I think in five or 10 years, I mean, just coaster concepts that come out that people can't even think of, just like RMC came out with their ride system in uh, 2011 for Texas Giant. And that was kind of out of left field. No one had thought of that. Then Fred and Alan created it. So I think we're going to get more of those moments as more people who are younger and have passion for the industry get in on the engineering and design side and just come up with some great ideas. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and again, even despite COVID, there is a huge demand for theme parks and coasters. Uh, you know, people just love them. I mean, it goes well beyond enthusiasts. You know, we are a minority of the population. Sure. You know, we, we might be the loudest voices at times, sometimes not for good reasons, but, you know, certainly the GP, as we call it, the general public, there is just a huge demand. I see it here in Florida. I see it all over the place where I travel and I love it. 
because you know without the gp without the enthusiast without all of us you know paying for the annual passes the tickets the upcharges etc you know parks can't afford to buy coasters it's not like they buy them magically coasters don't grow yeah. on trees <laughs> so yeah and i mean so. i i don't want to downplay COVID, but i i think the now that the parks are open again, I think what we've seen and what we know is they're a really good environment for something like COVID because you can be outdoors, but still go with your family and be safe. You know, it's, it's a different than if you're in a movie theater or other confined space, you know, for the most part, most of the attractions at parks, you can go and enjoy, you know, even in 2020, the ones that were open did really well just because people were comfortable being in an outdoor environment where the, the risk was lower. So it's just nice that, I think that we can kind of provide some escapism for people. That's sort of been what our industry has been good at historically, whether it's Coney Island in the early 1900s or Disneyland. And even now, just it's nice to get out of the house, you know, whether you got kids or friends or whatever, <laughs> you want to get out of the house right now. And amusement parks are a great, safe place to do that. Oh, absolutely. They are one of the healthiest forms of escapism. And, and that escapism, that, you know, immersion and getting away from your problems and giving yourself a, a break from anxiety and thinking about all the troubles you have in your life, COVID, otherwise, uh, you know, that's what makes theme parks so great. And that's part of that theme park therapy. Yeah, I mean, I, I dare someone to ride Velocicoaster not get off just happier than they were five minutes ago. You know, I just don't think it's possible. <laughs> So yeah, no, absolutely. The Velocity Coaster is the Goldilocks Coaster, in my opinion. It is my number one coaster, as a lot of mm -hmm. audience already knows. I've now been on it uh, 107 times. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, at this point, when we're recording here, I 107 times, and uh, I, I, it's the only coaster I am keeping track of free rides because prior to riding Velocity Coaster, my number one was from kind of a number of years back and I wasn't thinking about rewrites or counting mm -hmm. again. Apps didn't exist as like they do now. And now that I have this new number one, I'm like, well, I can keep track. And, you know, I put in my social media profile, you know, it's just fun, uh -huh. you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's been fun tracking the rewrites and getting all the rides on it and getting a relaunch on it actually. Um, oh, cool. Last winter, which was amazing. Getting that extra backwards launch and then the stronger boost launch was yeah it was awesome but anyway but yeah it's, it's all great stuff and and it's um yeah coasters are so great for being in the moment they are mm -hmm. one of the best ways to easily be mindful to have a few minutes of mindfulness because all that adrenaline and all the forces that are leading to that and the endorphins you know it all so counterbalances all that negativity so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely yeah so Obviously, you know, you've been on a, a bunch of coasters, you've ridden a number of coasters over the years, I'm guessing, right? Mm -hmm. Been to a lot of parks, right? So talk to me about what the craziest moment you've ever had on a coaster was. I'd say probably the craziest moment was I got to ride uh, Gravity Max at Discovery World's Vacoma Tilt Coaster. I think uh, Kadia is supposed to get one, but uh, up until that, that park opens in Saudi, it's, I believe, the only tilt coaster Vacoma is done. And yes. just that whole sensation of going out on that piece of track, the brakes locking, I got the backseat ride on it. And then having that whole mechanism tilt 45 degrees or 90 degrees, so you're facing straight down is, is nuts. I mean, it's just one of those visuals that is hard to beat. And then also you, you're just held by air brakes and then they just open. So you're almost, you know, you can just feel the airtime as the train gets yanked out from under you. So that, it's not a long ride. It's got like a loop and a helix afterwards. But that moment is just a pretty amazing moment, just and much more intense than I was expecting. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that I'm finally, it's the first time I get to talk to someone who's been on this ride. And I'll explain because <laughs> it's more than just, you know, nerding out. And, you know, you've been on an amazing coaster. That's a rare credit. 
so quick backstory. So first of all, <laughs> over the weekend, a few days ago, I was literally uh, talking to a friend of mine that I had been hanging out with in person the day before. He didn't realize until we were hanging out in person that I'd been on a lot of international credit. And uh, so, you know, we were, he was asking me about this and that. And, and, and one of the things that came up was one of my white whales here, here and abroad, and it is Gravity Max. And why? Because I've been to Taiwan twice. Yeah, last time I was there was in 2007. Went to that park, was there all day, waiting and waiting for Gravity Max to open. It never did. I have been on tilt coasters before, and I'm not just coming green dots. I've been on green dots. In 2019, I was in China for two weeks, and I got to go and battle with Jungle King. Mm-hmm. And Battle Jungle King is amazing because just the, the visuals of it and the dueling, which had never dueled, they never opened up the other side then. But at least I finally got to go on a significant tilt coaster. I mean, green uh-huh. dots, you can almost think of as almost being like a family, kids, not mm-hmm. kids, but a family tilt coaster. But it is a tilt coaster. But, you know, being outside there, much taller, um, steeper angle. It's not Gravity Max at 90 degrees, which is where, like, why I would love to ride Gravity Max. But Battle Jungle King, I don't know what the angle is, maybe 70 degrees or something. It's relatively okay. steep. And yeah, I totally relate to what you're saying because it's such a unique experience. And you're know, like, you know, the whole thing about is the train going to be held there or not? This is Golden Horse. I don't trust Golden Horse, you know, et cetera. <laughs> it kind of, that was the thrilling aspect of that ride more so than the horse mm-hmm. itself. So I can totally relate. This is the first time we've had a, you know, large scale tilt coaster being the craziest moment, but I to- totally uh-huh. make sense. Having risen <laughs> one myself like that, it's intense. It is, especially in the, um, this is back when we're still doing YouTube here at Coaster Challenge. I did my recordings and POVs and I was recording a POV on that ride with audio. And uh-huh. there was this woman behind me crying her, just bawling. David, <laughs> David, who's in the background, I'm sure remembers the, because he edited the uh, video, how, oh my gosh, she must have been so scared. And I, I get it. But anyway, so that's a great, crazy moment. So thank you. Uh, so tell me, what is your favorite coaster of all time? For me, that's a really hard one. Sort of off the cuff, too, that really speak to me on the wood side. I've just always loved Raven at Holiday World. I just think it's kind of a complete wood coaster design in a really short amount of track. I just, I love the layout of it. And riding at night is amazing. And then I also just like Space Mountain. I liked a lot. I like indoor coasters. So like Space Mountain in California. I also like the um, Eurosat, the old version at uh, Europa Park with kind of the techno music on it. Like, I just, I love that kind of light show in the dark sound immersion, all those things tossed together just to create a really different experience. You kind of pair that coaster with what could be really high tech projections like on Green Gods or could be lower tech sound and, and light. But I really like that whole experience. Have you been to China? I have. I have. Have you been to Shanghai? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've been on Tron. I'm surprised given what you just described there that Tron wasn't mentioned because I was thinking maybe you hadn't been on Tron. I was going to make a prediction, but so you do you not see Tron in that same light? Like Tron didn't really blow me away. I don't know why. Like I, I love really? the station. I love the like the whole music and the atmosphere. And I love the little pre-launch segment. Right. But sort of the, once you go indoors, it just felt very kind of cardboard cutout to me. And it wasn't, mm. it didn't have that kind of pow I was expecting for a new coaster. And, you know, maybe I'm cutting a space not in a little slack since it's like 40 years old now. Uh, right. I don't know. Right. But, but I, I, I thought trying to, it's a very fun ride and it does exactly what it was intended to 
but I thought it would just have a little more punch in terms of like the thematics surrounding the ride experience. I see. I see. Okay. I, I get that. I think for me, why it's different. Uh, Tron is not my number one, but Tron is in my top 10. It's my top Disney coaster. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a couple reasons. One, I'm a huge fan of the Tron movies, especially Tron Legacy mm-hmm. and Daft Punk's soundtrack, which they use on the ride is so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, it's well fantastic. adapted. Um, even from just like the sort of lead up music when you're just kind of rolling out of the station. I, mean, I can hear the music now, what they play uh-huh. in the part, which is from the movie. And it's just brilliant how they kind of, the anticipation, they do, the buildup that they do with the music and the, with the launch and throughout the ride. But I've, I've rode sport bikes for years. Okay. And so, you know, granted there are other motorcycle coasters. I've been on booster bike at Overland, which is the kind of earlier model of that technology, if you will, mm-hmm. for Vacoma. Uh, I've been on Hagrid's and other, other motorcycle type coasters, but Tron is a little bit more of a sport bike like feel because you're, you know, you're, it's more aggressive stance like a sport mm-hmm. bike and how the riding position is. And I just love it. I, I just, but again, that's, that's, you know, it's a different kind of perspective. So the, the other ones you mentioned though made sense. I, uh, Europa Park, I've not been to, I'm planning to go there this year. I've heard good things about Eurosat. Now you didn't mention Voyage. What do you think about Voyage? For me, I'll ride it, be amazed by it, but want to sit down for like 10 minutes because it's definitely for me an, you know, an aggressive coaster and a long right. aggressive coaster. And Raven, I just, Raven's just a ride I can jump right back on two seconds right. later in the back seat and love it. So I, gotcha. I, I definitely have much, much respect to Voyage. It's just not my favorite. And again, this is all about opinion. All, all the jokes aside, a bunch of my friends and I, we all have these jokes with each other about you know the goat coaster and you know and you know i'll say oh i'm going on my goat coaster tomorrow and another friend will say to me which is about last coaster a friend of me will say oh i didn't realize you're coming to ohio tomorrow because they're they're <laughs> number one is steel vengeance and, you, know, uh-huh. and, you know you know you know stuff like that but anyways but uh, you know it's all about you know respecting each other's preferences which is a big thing but uh, Voyage, Voyage is my number one wooden coaster. I only okay. been on it. I've only been to Hollywood World once. I went to Hollywood Nights last year, uh, and it, that was the super busy one with all the issues and the unfortunate of, of that ride or the mm-hmm. first night. And and so I got to ride it like I think four times on Saturday, the day it was open. And okay. I, I was not getting worn out from it or tied. I ride wooden coasters really well, aggressive ones. But I want the chat. I want to take that challenge that you just alluded to. And I'm hoping to go back this year for Hollywood Nights. I've applied for it. We'll see if I make it in. Um, where, you know, with a smaller number of guests, like it used to be, where I can maybe get on it, you know, 10, 15 times in a day. Let's see how I do. But, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. so far, you know, at least the times I've been on, I was like, I'm, I want to keep going. I kept get, getting back in line. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. but, but I get what you're saying. Raven is more rideable, especially for a lot of people. So tell me, what is your least favorite coaster? Probably my least favorite of the old Chance Toboggan. Those really? were just not fun rides. Yeah. I have heard like, I mean, this is back in the day, like in the 70s. If they faulted, sometimes they'd have to get a crane to evac because <laughs> you're in that little tube and they have to pull the car out. So it's, it, they were kind of this combination of claustrophobia and being very uncomfortable and not that exciting. So it kind of hit a nice trifecta there. And I just, <laughs> not my favorite. I think I wrote the one at Conneaut about two decades ago. And I, I think I've been on that one and one other one. And don't know if I need to do another after that. Yeah, I don't think I've ever ridden a chance to bog it. I don't recall riding one. And I, mean, I can definitely understand, like you said, that trifecta. It's like the, you know, really bad combination of, of things that all go in that same direction. So I get yes. it. Yes. I get it. All right. Well, that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, 
let's go ahead and switch gears now. You know, Zamperla, the company that you now work for, has really made a name for itself, you know, in the industry, especially with its flat rides, uh, particularly the uh, Discovery series of rides, which are among my favorite flat rides. I love those spinning disc pendulum rides, and you guys make some, mm-hmm. you know, an awesome, awesome version of them, some of the biggest ones, et cetera. You know, those are typically, I don't oftentimes ride a lot of flat rides at a, at a typical, you know, a bigger Six Flags Cedar Fair type park, but you know, those pendulum rides, the discoveries, those are ones I'll always ride. So just so fun. Mm-hmm. So tell me, you know, with these flat rides, how was Zamperla able to make such a name for itself with them? Like how, you know, what's their, what's the magic? Sure. So, I mean, I'd really have to sort of go back to when we started, because it's all been kind of an evolution. You know, we really started as I'd call it Kitty Family Ride Company. And we were different than a lot of the older ones like Herschel and Mangos because we were really the first big company to have parents and kids ride together because historically kitty rides were for kids. And right. we started coming up with attractions like the Crazy Bus where parents could ride it comfortably, you know, not have their knees and their chin and kids <laughs> could have a lot of fun. You know, it was a little more dynamic than just going around in a circle. And right. so we, we worked a long time to kind of build our marketplace there and be the kind of the go-to company for kitty family rides. And so sort of the next step was us looking at the market and saying, where do we need to go? And that's when we started coming up with, you know, rides like the Hawk and uh, Power Surge and like the early 2000s, which were kind of our first bigger thrill flat rides. And then we, we did a good job with them, but we really saw, you know, kind of a strategic position in the marketplace where, there wasn't a lot of competition for the big flat rides like Husk kind of had their giant rides concept they did in the early 2000s. Right. You know, you do have Intamin still making some of the big gyro swings, but no one really stepped into that place where, and said a big part of our portfolio is going to be these big thrill rides. And that's a decision that we made as a company. And then that allowed us to really become a, a company that a lot of people, if like if they were starting a park like OA or in China or in the Middle East, they started to come to us saying, we want to buy everything from you guys, or we want to buy all the flat rides from you guys. And that really allowed us to kind of get a really strong market position there. And it's just something we haven't yielded. And that's really was the genesis of us wanting to invest more in coasters was uh, Antonio and Alberto and other people, the company said, you know, we're the company that pretty much people sole source the kitty and family rides to us. We're one of a handful of contenders for the big thrill rides we want our coasters to be as good and as well recognized as though other, those other two segments. So we're going to make the coasters great also. So that's kind of how the evolution that companies happen, I'd say in the last 20, 25 years in terms of product. That actually makes a lot of sense. And in a way, if you think about it, you, know, you guys kind of followed a similar path that Intamin took because you know, Intamin's been around for decades and mm-hmm. you know, going back into the 80s, maybe even before that, you know, they were making not flat rides per se, but, you know, they make pretty much all the rapids rides out there. They debuted, they created the free fall rides, the first gen free fall rides. And then they moved on to the tower based free fall rides in the nineties and, and, you know, and various other rides. And then starting in the what mid to late nineties, they started getting into coasters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've not been into coasters very long at all. So they were historically the company that, you know, parks would go to for a lot of other rides. And here you guys are kind of a similar vein here. Uh, you know, with a lot of the flat rides, and like I said, the kitty rides, and got more into the thrilling flat rides. And I know you guys you were doing some stuff, I think, with water and water rides, mm-hmm. and, and now now getting into coasters, kind of offering kind of a full suite, just like you know, not a lot of companies do that. You know, the 
where coaster podcasts, you know, RMC and Bacoma and B&M and, you know, all these major coaster manufacturers, they generally, those just, they just make coasters. You know, Instrument is one yeah. of the few that does everything. And here you guys are. And they, I think there's a lot of room in that space for that sort of one-stop shopping or, you know, hey, new park, they want to come to someone, just partner with them. Like, I think uh, you mentioned OA. I think OA, how many, how many Zimpro rides does OA have? I know they partner with you guys. Probably about plus or minus 20 rides in the initial package when it opened. That's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys, I think there's, there's a lot of room for, for what you're doing and how you're expanding. So I mentioned earlier that uh, I went to IAPA, not just this past year, but in 2019, the previous mm-hmm. IAPA. And I was there representing Coaster Challenge in both years, actually representing Ace as well in 2021. And in 2019, representing Coaster Challenge, I had, you know, various enthusiasty friends of mine that were representing their own channels. And that's why they were there. And, you know, we were enjoying and, you know, doing interviews and covering things and, and whatnot, but we were certainly enjoying the rides as well. And I remember all of us, my group, if you will, we kept coming back to Zen Pearl's booth in 2019 because you guys had Nebulas there. You were, you were debut mm-hmm. of Nebulas. Yeah. And that was just such a fun ride. And it, it's so fun to watch. I can only imagine what it would be like to watch that with a lighting package in the dark, you know, at, at night in a park, you know, in mm-hmm. a real park out in the real world. Uh, certainly at least got to ride it, you know, you know, with the lights on, if you will, like simulating during the day. But it's just such a fun little flat ride. It's more fun than you would think it is, I think, even by looking at it. Uh, but I said, like I said, the kinetics, it's great to watch. So, you know, where have these been installed thus far that you can talk about? Or I mean, I'd love to be able to ride one of these in public. It's been a lot. I want to say it's well, we sold well over a dozen actually during the pandemic, which it's really? kind of crazy if you think about it. Yeah, but it's like you said, it's one of those rides that's just really captured people's imaginations. And I think that's a combination of exactly what you said. It's a really fun ride that is certainly a little more exciting than you think it's going to be. It's not overly thrilling, but it's that perfect tweener ride. You know, we've been really trying to hit that that kind of market segment where like 42 inches is kind of the big accompanied height limit, 48 where you ride alone. And we've been trying to think up those new attractions that we can get, like the super flume we're doing up at Coney. Um, and uh, this ride too are all in that kind of tweener zone. And they're great rides because they're a lot of fun. Younger kids can get on them. But like that one, to me, is just mesmerizing to watch. Like it, it looks really cool. And it, it's one of the few flat rides I've seen where people just stand and watch it for 15, 20 minutes. You know, it's like a, it's like a roller coaster where, you know, at Cedar Point, you get people watching Top Thrill because they want to see people's reaction on this. Right. It's more almost mem- mesmerizing because the arms is going back and forth as the whole thing turns. It's just really fun to watch. And so we've got stateside, we've got them over at Luna and then <clears throat> Kalahari in Texas. And then where's the other one? Oh, Adventure Dome in uh, Las Vegas. So they have them right now. And we do anticipate in the next season or two, there'll be several more popping up in the US as well as worldwide. Oh, nice. Nice. That's very nice. Yeah, I am hoping to get to Luna uh, and Coney Island in general this year. Last time I was there was 2017. Okay. And, uh, you know, I do go to New York City, you know, periodically, you know, every couple of years, sometimes even more often, not necessarily in the summer season when you guys are are open there. Uh, But I I love going to Coney Island. I mean, I'm a huge Nathan's fan. I love going to the original Mm -hmm. Nathan's and all the little fair food there and just walking the boardwalk and you know, jumping on the rides, getting on the cyclone, the wonder wheel and hitting the other, other, you know, newer rides like when you guys have at Luna. And yeah, so I'll definitely have to check that out. Uh, yeah. Cause I would, I, yeah, I would love to get on Nicholas again. And yeah, you, you, like you said, it's a mesmerizing, almost like it's a hypnotic ride to watch. Yeah. 
And uh, listeners, if you've not heard of Nebulas, uh, check it out on Zamperla's website. Uh, and just like all the the uh, Zamperla names, you know the the the, uh, the sound at the end. That's the Z. Zamperla Z. Gotta so have Nebula, the Z. Gotta have the Z. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> gotta the Z. So it's Nebula with a Z at the end, and you'll see it on their website. It's a really cool ride. We talked about you know kind of where Zamperla came from and how they evolved and the kitty rides, the flat rides, the thrill rides. And now, you know, granted, you guys were already offering coasters, but you're really looking to beef them up. So talk to our audience about what's going on, what new things you're getting into, what are, how the trends you're moving into and whatnot. Sure. So I, I think kind of the biggest change was that, you know, after the Thunderbolt opened at, at Coney Island, you know, it's a really fun ride, but it wasn't as good of an attraction as we thought it would be. And yeah. that's when our, our ownership kind of came together and said, okay, we really want to be in this coaster space let's do a five, 10 year plan on becoming a player. Cause it's not like, you know, there aren't a lot of whole people, a whole lot of people out there who can kind of bend coaster track, you know, it's not a very common thing. So they said, okay, we're going to make this plan because we want to be in this space. And they invested a lot in really good people. And we, we actually have one of the largest in-house engineering teams in the industry for roller coaster design right now, over 25 engineers. And so we also invested in our technologies, just some making better, smoother coasters. And so you really started seeing that in our 2018 coasters, like the factory coaster that opened in China. And then we had um, also that year, the Super Twister open at Warner Brothers Abu Dhabi in Dubai or in the UAE. And so those were some of the first of that next generation. And then we just kind of continue that uh, in 2019, we opened a Thunderbolt uh, Rolampaggio and that's in Guatemala. And then last year we opened a junior coaster at Ferrari World in the UAE. And that one, all of these have really been, I'd say next generation Zamperla coasters. They're really smooth, a lot of fun, really good layout. So all those things we've been working toward, we started to achieve. And so my role has been to kind of come on and just be the megaphone really for that whole engineering team we have and talk about what we've done in the past that people didn't know about just because some of the projects like you know, Friar World in March of 2020, obviously did not get a lot of press with that coaster because of the timing, understandably. Um, so talking about those things, but also working with our team to come up with new ideas. So this year we've announced, the first one uh, is actually down the road from you opening this year, and that's our family coaster lift and launch. And that's Peppa Pig at the new expansion at Legoland, Florida, which we're super excited about. So that kind of takes our classic family coaster, you know, made for kids first coaster ride, but it's really been upgraded. So it's got a lot of things that guests will like. It's got uh, individual lap bars. It's got magnetic brakes. So it's very smooth, has a tires on the lift. So it's much smoother than our old chain versions, better track work. And then also this layout has a launch halfway through the course. So it's going to be a lot more exciting than our traditional family coaster. So that's kind of for the smaller ones at that 36 inch height requirement, it's a great first coaster. And with everything we're doing now, we're trying to offer kind of a marketing hook on it because we realize that roller coasters are a big investment. And if we come up with just another off the shelf chain lift coaster that doesn't really differentiate us from the competition. So everything we're coming up with that one has got something unique. At IAPA, we kind of showcase the family throw launch concept. So this is geared more toward riders 42 inches and up. But again, we said, okay, we want to take the attributes of the classic mind train, really wide rider demographic, a lot of fun, but how do we make that marketable? And so with that, we had kind of two key elements. One is that our layout's gonna start with a backward launch that goes into a dead end spike and then a second forward launch. 
and we're also offering different vehicles on it. So we're going to have the motorcycle, the motorcycle sidecar, and the Jeep. So we have different riding styles available for parks. So again, letting them create the story that they want to tell with the attraction. And then the biggest and baddest kind of we've come up with is the double heart. So we're offering that in 50 meters, which is about 164 feet, and 70 meters, which is 230 feet. And that's our triple launch concept that, you know, I know that other people have them on the market, but we think that it's going to be really exciting. It's taller than anyone else with this concept. We think it's going to have a lot more airtime. And then also the trains are super comfortable. So there are lightning trains. There have a lap bar that actually comes over the shoulder, but just secures you at the lap. It's really comfortable. The seats are much wider. You know, I'd say they're similar to much more like a B&M Hyper than they are anything else in terms of the seat size and the seat spacing. So really trying to make it much more comfortable for riders. And we've also lowered our center of gravity. So if you look at our older Thunderbolt trains, we've actually lowered the CG from where it was to bring it close to the track center. And we think all those things are going to make a great, a great layout, which we have in the double heart, have a vehicle to match. So a really great vehicle that's really comfortable to ride in and tracks really well. Nice. That's awesome. So a few things I want to touch upon there that you mentioned. So the first one I'm kind of trying to go in order is you mentioned Ferrari World. So have you been there, by the way? I have. I, unfortunately, it was closed when I visited this year because um, of COVID. They had a, a really rolled back schedule, you know, understandably. Uh, but I did get to go and uh, check out the park and check out our junior coaster this year. I went to Ferrari World in January 2011, basically opening month. Okay. And so uh, there's a couple of coasters that have been since put in that I, that, you know, since I've been there, I need to go back there. That's of course why part of why parks put new rides in so that yep. people have been there before they come back and I look forward to going back. And I I'm, I'm a car guy. That's one of my other hobbies. I love sports mm -hmm. cars. Never owned a Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari's not necessarily my speed, literally or figuratively, <laughs> but I'm, I'm more of a Porsche guy, actually more of a Tesla guy currently, but I certainly respect Ferrari and the gorgeous, mm -hmm. amazing automobiles, amazing works of engineering. And uh, I was so excited to go to Ferrari World, and I had a blast there that day. And that park is just so unique, beautiful, yeah. absolutely beautiful. You know, you know, there's not many indoor parks of that scale. Of course, it's technically not all indoors, but all the rides start indoors, at least. Mm -hmm. You know, and you have that, you know, of course, because the Middle East and the heat and the summer, the air conditioning and all that. But just, just one experience. And I think that's really, that really says something for you guys at Semperla, because, you know, you guys have traditionally not specialized in coasters, that one of your coasters is at a premier, a tremendous premier park in the world. So that's really a great accomplishment. The junior coaster, it's the kind of the sort of junior, thematically speaking, or name-wise of Formula Rosa, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So they called it Formula Rosa Junior. And it was really, you know, they really looked at the park and said, like, we've got a bunch of great thrill coasters, but they really realized that, you know, for parents bringing their kids there, there wasn't a whole lot for them to do because they had specialized in these, you know, big thrill pieces. So when they came right. to us, we, we came up with a totally custom design for them. We had actually three of our family rides integrated into the layout. So our coaster wraps around one of our towers and two of our other kitty flat rides. So it's a really um, nice themed area oriented toward families and it's been a huge hit for them. But yeah, I mean, it was a huge feather in our cap that Ferrari decided to go with us and choose us to be the coaster manufacturer for their, you know, premier family attraction. Right. No, that's awesome. That's great. I'll definitely, next time I go there, hopefully a couple of years or so, because again, it's a part, it's a repeat park. And I'll definitely want to wait for the special effects coaster, the dynamic attractions 
new gem to open whenever the front mm -hmm. opens. But <laughs> but I want to go back though, I'll have to check that out. That's so look some pictures of it though. That's pretty cool here from Arosa Jr. Think about mine train coasters. They're, you know, of course, Arrow, our, you know, that was one of their, you know, premier designs back in the yeah. day. They created the mine coaster back in the day. And, you know, it used to be, you know, parks would put, put mine coasters in. That was the thing back in the, the 80s and, and so forth. And then, of course, you know, the, the industry moves on to other designs and whatnot. You don't really see mine coasters being built anymore for the most part. And I think, you know, reflecting on me here in Orlando, uh, Universal Orlando, uh, with the reception that Hagrid's received, even with all the problems it had, mm -hmm. it's an intimate and all that, you know, it had some issues. It, it is the most technically complex coaster in the world with all the launches oh, and sure. the drop track and all that. But even with all the problems it had, and it's gotten a lot better, it's running a lot better, the, the reception of Hagrid's is incredible. So I, I think that, you know, given what I've seen with that, I think you guys will do well with this, the family, you know, launch-based mine train type coaster. And I think there's a lot of room for that type of kind of middle level thrill ride, I guess you could mm -hmm. say, in a, in a park. And I love that, you know, I remember seeing this at IAPA, you talking about it at IAPA, I'm presenting it and talking about it here again today, you know, the, the backwards launch, the forwards launch, the different types of vehicles, the flexibility that you can offer your customers. I think you guys will do well with that. I'm excited to see that come at the parks for sure. Yeah, we are too. I mean, and certainly, obviously, being a sales guy, I'm happy to sell anything we have. But, <laughs> you know, when we look at the marketplace, I am just particularly excited about this one because, A, when I look around, I see a ton of, from us and other people, some really good, you know, family attractions coaster-wise. There are obviously a lot of great thrill coasters. But when I visit parks, I definitely see a hole in the marketplace because you kind of have a ton of these 36 inch coasters, a ton of the 48 inch or taller thrill coasters, but not a whole lot at 42 on the coaster side. And that was really pronounced when my youngest Kira, who, who I refer to as stubbornly short, she, she barely cracked 42 inches last year. You know, when we visit parks together, there's not a whole lot she can ride. And some of that's because there aren't a whole lot of options in the space. Some of that's because it's standards change. The coasters that you be, used to be able to ride at like 42 inches have now been bumped up to 44, 48. There just right. aren't as many as you can experience. Cause like even, you know, you mentioned big bad wolf earlier, like that was a 42 inch ride. Right. And I think if that opened today, it'd be 48 inches. So we really want to have something that those kids who are taking that big step up and kind of quote unquote, writing a real coaster, not a kiddie coaster anymore. <laughs> when, when they're, when they're riding that first big coaster, on the one hand, we want it to be geared toward them and a lot of fun. But on the other hand, it has to have enough oomph to it that it's going to, you know, thrill teens, tweens, and, and young adults too. So kind of walking that line is hard. But I think with this design, we've really hit upon something that's going to speak to a lot of riders. So the other one that you mentioned that I want to touch upon, the double heart design. Mm -hmm. And as you alluded to, all of us that saw it there at IAPA, and everyone that's seen it since, I'm sure they, they will look at it and say, okay, that looks, of course, a lot like a Skyrocket 2 Premier ride. Mm -hmm. And I've been on many of those. Not necessarily what you guys are doing. You guys are offering different options. But those are sort of, you know, cookie cutter. They're always the same, I think, 150 feet tall and same layout. You know, sometimes two cars, sometimes three. Very, very slight differences. Mm -hmm. and I enjoy them a lot. So your double heart. You mentioned the lap bar, comfortable lap bar, which sounds mm -hmm. great. So a couple of questions for you. You guys are not, there's nothing going to be over the shoulders or around the neck, right? What's the train capacity on that ride? So we're offering actually a couple options. We're offering one 12 seater. So one 12 seat train, that's about 500 people per hour. One 16 seat train, which is about 660 people per hour, or we can do two 12 or 
16 seat trains. So if you have two 16 seaters, you're going to get up towards a thousand. And those numbers aren't like, Hey, you here are theoreticals and the actual capacity is going to be about half that. You know, we're, we're trying to really work with real times, real load and load times that parks can do. And so we're giving out real capacities. So we're trying to offer a lot of different options to really meet people's budget requirements and capacity requirements and give a lot of options in that space. So, and on the two train versions, we actually have a turntable that allows us um, to load and unload one while the other is out on the active track. Perfect. Yeah, that's the challenge for those shuttle coasters is the capacity issues with not being able to have more than one train. So it's yep. great to see with some of these newer designs, you know, a turntable or a linear transfer or track or whatever it may be to help be able to add that second train to be able to load one while the other is, is going through its course. Mm -hmm. So that's fantastic. The other thing that I have had a real problem with on those rides, and again, I love them. I'll, I'll ride them every time I go to the parks that they're at. They're, I think they're a great design is there's very little room for your legs to even get into the car and get out of the car. They're very narrow cars. So are your trains going to be a little more spacious? Yeah. Ours is going to ride much more like Mako seats, you know, being a hypercoaster. That, that's okay. that's the, the scale and proportions that we're working with. Cause we did a lot of research when we designed this lightning train, really looking at, you know, different size around the world and like how large people are at different ages and really try to take that into consideration and building rides that a, because it's more comfortable for the guests, but B, because that really has a huge effect on capacity. And so oh, yes. when we're thinking about these numbers, and that's why I said, we're not just kind of throwing numbers up on our website and hoping people can make them. We did a lot of research and said, okay, we need to have this space because we want, we need our guests in and out. You know, you want those people moving through. If they're taking 30 or 45 seconds just to pull themselves out of the seat, your capacity, you know, no matter who makes the ride, is just not going to do well. Right. And that's why we, we paid a lot of attention to our seat spacing row to row and how much room they had to get out between the restraint and themselves and make sure that product was something that where we could really turn people around quickly. So we think we can realistically do like 40, 45 second load unload where we're getting people in and out. You know, Intamin's done a great job with it on the Terran trains. And I think ours is going to be similar or, you know, once you get your crew up and moving for the day, you're going to hit that interval every time and, and be able to do really good capacity because there's plenty of room for guests to get in and out quickly. Absolutely. And certainly, you know, like you said, Intamin, like Velocicoaster or Terran, some of these, or I've been on Storm with Dragon, some of these newer style Intamin trains mm -hmm. with a lapar only, I think they're a win-win. One, they're more comfortable for the riders. They're, yeah. they're more exciting for the riders because you, you have more freedom and that sense of freedom also means you're, you know, you feel like you're not as secured in as you would be otherwise with sort of exciting, you know, when you go into inversions and, you know, and the high thrill elements. I love that. But also the capacity, you know, like with the capacity I see in Velocicoaster, for example, is absolutely mm -hmm. insane yeah. how they can work people through. So if you guys are kind of, you know, learning from those lessons and, and, and studying the industry and with your coaster offerings to, you know, make it, you know, lap bar only, make the make the, the trains comfortable, the seats comfortable and have room for people to get in and out because, between the comfort collars and the kind of narrowness of those premier Skyrocket 2 trains are just it's such a hassle. So I'm glad to see you guys can improve upon that. So the 70 meter is the taller one. What yeah. is, what's the top speed going to be at that one? I think we're about uh, about 75 miles per hour, give or take on that guy. Yeah, I mean, the, the fastest triple launch coaster in the world is Soaring with Dragon at 77 miles an hour. 
No, it's not Pantheon, as my friends <laughs> might say. It's not. Um, it's 77. And so you guys are right there with a with triple launch. Like, yeah, that's going to be a throwing coaster. I'm excited to, uh, you know, several of these models I'm really looking forward to, but I think the double heart I'm really excited about is I, I really would love to see how you guys can really, I, I don't want to say iterate on that kind of existing design, but really perhaps perfect it or really improve upon it. Have you guys sold any of those yet? Or, you know, can we, you know, what, what are we looking forward to seeing them or? We've had a lot of interest since we debuted the concept, but at IAPA, we had people coming over to our booth to specifically talk about the double heart. And nice. the combination of A, we came up with a great design and B, people have started to, in the last year, sort of understand the changes we've made. And so certainly, you know, I don't think if we were to come out with that design 10 years ago, people would have come to Zampro at IAPA. But here we had a lot of major players come to us and saying, hey, tell me about the lightning train that has reduced maintenance costs because of the chassis and tell me about the double heart. So we're, we're having those conversations that make us very happy about how the perception changed about our capabilities in the market. That's awesome. That's very exciting. I, I look forward to seeing, you know, when these Zamp new Zamperla coasters pop up and, you know, get to hopefully get to some parks that have them eventually. That's really exciting. So obviously there's a lot of technology that, you know, that you guys are are working with you haven't worked with before, you know, like LSM launching, and I believe you guys are coming out with drop tracks and some of your models and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, have you guys uh, added a lot of uh, engineering staff? Definitely. So, what we did is, you know, when I mentioned that we've kind of created this five to 10 year plan of improvement, that was one of the first things we did. So, we've actually got, I want to say, 25 or 27 engineers on staff dedicated only to coasters. So, that is what they do. And that's how that gives us the ability to turn around, you know, conceptual designs really quickly, much faster than we used to. And we also do it totally in-house. So while, while other people use kind of third parties for engineering, we do all that in-house now, uh, which also I think allows us to be more competitive cost-wise and allows us to turn around our engineering packages faster than we used to. Nice. And, and everything is manufactured in Italy or is there manufacturing in the U.S. as well? Yeah, so uh, we have, you know, a few things here and there that are manufactured other places, but I'd say about 95, 97% of the coaster product is made in Italy. Got it. So we, we touched upon this earlier, but, uh, you know, Coney Island, of course, is one of the most historic kind of theme park or amusement park related places in the world. I mean, you know, the, the Cyclone is one of the oldest standing coasters that is still operating uh, out there and, and so much history. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, I grew up in New Jersey. I am too young to have ridden this ride, but, you know, it's, it's a historic landmark, the parachute jump. My mother would talk mm -hmm. to me about having ridden that as a kid because she grew up in Brooklyn, which is right there. Coney Island's basically part, almost part of Brooklyn. So, you know, and there's so much history there. And, you know, it's always, it's always so sad when you see history, you know, theme park and coasters and amusement park wise gear race like what just happened on Bruce Streak is awful and so you know it's always great to see stories in the reverse sense than what happened with Blue Streak mm -hmm. and for example Zamperla what uh you know a little more than 10 years ago now in 2010 you guys opened Luna Park at the same site where the old Astroland Park was that had fallen disrepair and you know gone into business and whatnot so talk to me about what Luna Park does for Zamperla in developing new ride concepts and trying out new theming and things like that. What do you guys do there and how does that work for you? Honestly, for us, it's a great place to learn more about our rides. And what I mean by that is historically, not just us, and I'm just talking about my time in the industry, what, what I've seen 
is often there's this huge disconnect between the people that engineer and conceptualize the rides and the guys who actually work on them. And then the engineers actually only go out and maybe see a ride in person or ride it sometimes if there's a problem. And that really created, and this is an industry-wide thing, just something where I don't think sometimes we were as responsive as we could be as an industry to our clients because we didn't have a lot of practical experience working on the attractions. And really what Luna's given us is we have this operations and maintenance team who are really great people and they can communicate problems directly with Zamperla. So we'll put our, you know, unit one, like we did the air race, like we did nebulas and other attractions. So we can run it there for a season, find out, okay, what's working well, what's not working well from a component perspective. Oh, this works well, but you know, to repair this, to like seat restraint monitoring, I have to take the, this whole component apart, takes two hours. Why don't you put, build a door here? And so what I think it really gives us is a much better end product for our buyer. They're getting, you know, kind of unit two, three, four, five, and they've already hopefully had a lot of improvements made upon them just because I don't, I don't care who you are. There are a lot of rides out there that, you know, you put them together and until they get runtime on, whether it's a big problem or a small problem, you just aren't able to really understand where the issues are because they haven't seen a lot of runtime. And right. Luna gives us the ability to just say, oh, that's a great ride, but we need to change that because that's really inconvenient. Or like on even small things, like on the Nebulas, we change kind of bolt locations and padding locations just because we found we had one area where we needed more padding because of wear. And we had just some mm -hmm. bolts that were hidden and you had to cut the foam away. It's like, let's just leave those exposed so you're not cutting the foam off when you need to do a restraint replacement, things like that. So I think it's made us a much better company you know, not only we have a great park there that we can take clients to, that's obviously huge for us as salespeople, but also the fact that we're, we're making better rides because we're getting our own internal feedback, making improvements, and then really starting to sell the product out to clients. Fantastic. So a lot of synergy there. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. yeah, and think about, you know, where you as a salesperson, so I, I'm assuming, well, of course you joined in the pandemic, so perhaps it's a little different, but I'm guessing they put it this way that you're looking forward to as the hope of the pandemic you know, gets under control and things get back to, I guess, what they call the new normal, that you'll be able to meet uh, potential clients at Luna Park or fly up there or drive up there and kind of show them around and have them try out the rides, right? Yeah, no, and actually yeah. last last summer, kind of when things were, you know, better and the vaccines ramped up, you know, we even had clients who were coming out last summer to check out attractions. So oh, I got nice. to go up last summer. So, it, and then with the, uh, the Junior Coaster and Super Flume opening next year, we already have clients asking to come visit or come look at construction this winter and spring. So it's it's been a really nice place for us. And I think it's me very busy with people checking out what we're doing there. That's awesome. That, that's really great. I love it. I love it. So I'm a huge podcast fan in general and started listening to podcasts about four years ago. And one of the first ones I started listening to is Coastal Radio, Mike and EB, the hosts. And, and they talk about periodically about on, on their show about involvement, I guess, in some theming. I think it's at Luna Park. Is that right? Yeah, I, I don't know all the details. They did some stuff. And then I think they were involved in some of the theming on the big waves, Neptune theming that never we ended up not installing it because of COVID. So the like the Neptune themed big waves that you see on our social media was supposed to open at Coney in 2020, but because all the construction got stopped in you know the entire city, we decided to send it back to Italy and we've been running it testing. But I, I believe those guys might've been involved with some of the theming conceptualization for that Neptune kind of overlay on that big waves product. Got it. And, and what, what kind of ride is big waves again? 
So big waves is kind of a combination jumping star and tidal wave. So it's, it's basically you get on, you go up, and then we're, we do kind of a fake drop and take you up again and then drop you in the water. And a lot of people have joked that it looks like a big guillotine because we have this kind of th these big metal pieces that come to a point because it penetrates the water and we have this huge wave that comes up. Uh, but it's a lot of fun, and I actually got to ride it uh, on one of my factory visits this year. So it, it's it's really cool because if you're on board, you definitely get wet. But the visual of this huge wall of water that's like 30 feet tall coming four feet or three feet in front of you is awesome to watch. But then if you're not riding, you just same thing. You see that, but from off board. So you just see the ride drop and this huge wall of water comes at everybody. And it's really, really cool. That's great. And you know, there, there's some coaster enthusiasts out there. They're strictly coasters. They go to parks, they only go on coasters. That's all they do. That's all they care about. For, for me, I'm a, um, whatever name you want to use for it, uh, equal opportunity or whatnot. I love uh -huh. everything about parks. Everything from the immersion, the theming, the the coasters, the flat rides, the, you know, the, the dark rides, the food, the, everything. But one of them is I love water rides. And it, it's funny because I see a lot of my coaster enthusiast friends and even the hot weather and my friends say, oh, I know we get my shoes wet and all this. I, you know, I, I wear sandals to parks. It's part of why I do. I love water rides. And I remember, you know, you were just kind of talking through the, the never was there. Mike and DB, they were talking about what the ride does. I think this was a year or two ago. I just didn't remember. Thanks for refreshing my memory. And I remember that when they were talking about it, just like how you were, it's like, I just thought, I want to get on this ride. This sounds mm -hmm. awesome. So that is not at Luna Park. It was, but now that you guys shifted back to the factory, is it going to wind up at Luna Park, you think, eventually? or Probably not. I, I honestly don't know because I don't run the operations side, but my guess right. is I think we're probably going to try and find a, another home for that particular unit and maybe bring it back in the future. But just with us having the, the junior coaster and flume opening next year, um, yeah. it, it's a pretty big investment for 22 already with having a really big junior coaster as well as the super flume. Got it. And what is the super flume, by the way? So the super flume is... You know, kind of like I talked about us looking around the coaster space and saying, where do we find opportunities? Superflume was a similar place where you had, we have a lot of these parks retiring and they're kind of old aero flumes because they're getting just yeah. too expensive to take care of. Hopkins really isn't in the marketplace anymore. You know, you have Whitewater purchase them. So you have, you know, like Whitewater, Intamin Mock, they make really good water rides, but they're all definitely not cheap water rides, you know? Right. And so we <laughs> said, how can we make something that is a little more price conscious for buyers, but has that same level of thrill and uniqueness. So the super flume, we created this whole water system where the wave is much more like a tidal wave wave when it comes down. So you get that nice off-ride visual, but we also created this flume ride that this is kind of our, one of our standard layouts. So we have that with the junior coaster intertwined. So it's kind of an updated flume concept, but the other big thing is that one of the reasons a lot of parks took out the flumes is because the, the boats just get really difficult to maintain after a certain point. The fiberglass gets holes in it, you have to repair it. And we actually, you know, our engineering team came up with this whole idea where instead of having to rework the boats every off season, refiberglass them or gel coat them, you can actually just take the bottom of the boat, it rips off, it becomes a wearable part. You put a new one on with construction adhesive and that's good for the season. So we're really hoping to, again, lower your cost of ownership, take away all those maintenance time and costs, and just make something that you replace that in one day, instead of you replacing all your boat holes over an off season. So we really think that in addition to being a fun ride, 
we're really kind of changing the ownership metrics on what it costs to maintain that vlog flume every year and hopefully make it something that's much more affordable than the older style flumes were. That's great. I love it because I love log room rides. And other than, you know, the major parks like Disney or Universal Sounds Adventure, you know, you're a lot, you don't still see log flumes yeah. taken out by your mm -hmm. regional parks, your Six Flags, Cedar Fairs, et cetera. And some of those regional parks, log flume rides back in the day were great rides. And mm -hmm. yeah, they fell into disrepair. And of course they're being arrows. They can't get parts for them. And like I said, the maintenance, they're expensive. So I'm excited to see that you guys are sort of trying to help bring back the log flume or, you know, help it kind of stay alive. So that's great. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. And I, I think our portfolio right now is a really nice balance of, you know, it's mostly new concepts, but we're also, you know, looking the past and saying, that was a great ride. Why are people taking it out? How can we make it better so that a new generation of, you know, riders can enjoy it? Because still at most parks, the log flume is the most popular attraction. And there's a reason for that. So we said, okay, what are the problems? Instead of just saying, we're not going to make one. How do we make one that the market wants? And that's really right. the focus. Right. Makes sense. That's awesome. So keeping in mind, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier, the mission of Coaster Challenge is to really push forward theme park therapy and help people face their fears and, you know, face anxiety, depression, and just live better lives through theme parks. Uh, do you have any advice that you'd like to give our audience? I would say for me, it's just really two things. One is, you know, this hobby is, I think, sort of this unique combination of fear and fun, you know, <laughs> and to definitely sort of make it your own. Because one thing I, I love about our industry is that if you're interested in so many things, whether it's art or if it's, you know, 400 foot drop towers that just scare you or it's coaster technology. I like it because there's so many places to be interested in it, but also we're always looking for good people. So if you have a passion for some segment, if, you know, if, if you love amusement parks, but you're an artist, there's a place for you in this industry. Flip side, you know, if you like rides, but you really like working with your hands and, and, Lord knows we need more people who are great mechanics right now. That's something we're really, you know, as an, as really as a country, we're struggling to find, you know, that's one thing I think being on this side, I've seen that I really enjoy is yes, there are a lot of cool things to do as a guest, but there are also a lot of great jobs that, you know, you've probably never thought of that exists in this industry. So, you know, no, I cannot guarantee that everyone's going to be you know, Alan Schilke and be able to design a roller coaster. I can't make that promise, <laughs> but I can promise that there are a lot of opportunities that because people only think, oh, I want to design coasters and that's it. You know I mean? that And honestly, that was me too as a kid. Like I, I would have loved to design coasters, but I also realized in high school that I, I was good at math and science, but I wasn't great. And so if there are less people designing roller coasters than, you know, the space shuttle, that kind of told me that that was maybe not my calling, but I was able to find my way into it in a different way. So I would certainly say that if you have a passion for the industry and want to try to get into it, definitely see where your skill set can kind of mesh up with the industry because there are a lot of opportunities right now. Yeah, that's really good. I like the things you said that that's awesome. There's so many things that you can do in the industry. If I had one wish for all the, all of our younger listeners that they want to work in the industry, I wish that they could all go to IAPA once because all they have to do is walk around IAPA and what IAPA will tell them amongst other things is how many companies, how many different products are involved in the theme park industry. And it could give them so many ideas of, oh, I actually love doing that. I didn't realize that was part of theme parks. Yeah, I'm an expert in that. I'm really good at that. I should apply to those companies, and, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. You know, of course, that's not how IAPA works, but 
Uh, if anything, uh, I, again, like you did there, it gives you some advice kind of feeding off of you, Adam, to our listeners is maybe you can't go to IAPA, but you know what you can do? Every IAPA, as you get close to the IAPA show of that year, the big, you know, big trade show of the year in November in Orlando, go onto IAPA's website and look at the exhibitor list. That's free to do. You don't have to travel. Take a few hours. Just look at all the exhibitors that are there, and that'll give you an idea of the kinds of companies you can look at and see working at the kinds of jobs. So, Also with that, you know, obviously not everyone has the, you know, whether it's money or it's time, the ability to do this, but IAPA does have their uh, ambassador program too. And so if you are, you know, I think they take college age students for, and they're people who kind of do everything at IAPA. So it's people who, you know, guide groups around the floor and people who really kind of the behind the scenes kids, if you will, that, that are kind of in college that just, it's a volunteer position. I believe uh, if you just Google like IAPA ambassador program, it really gives you this access to the industry. You know, you're working while you're down there, but you get to go on the show floor. You get to, you get to see a lot of behind the scenes things. You get to attend stuff like the social. So that's a nice way for people who are sort of looking for that foot in the door, like, cause it is obviously it's intimidating and also not necessarily practical just to jump down to the show floor and, and try and find a job. But this is a great way just to meet people and I've met some really great ambassadors over the years, some really young kids that were just, again, passionate about the industry, wanted to get in it, weren't sure how to get in it. And this was just kind of their first step at meeting connections, meeting people and meeting, I think, which I think is also important, meeting other kids their age who also had a passion for the industry in real life instead of online. So just all those things just work together really well. So if you are looking for that, just Google, I, I believe it's just Google IAPA ambassador program, and you'll find... Uh, more information about that and see if it might be a fit for you. That's fantastic. I love it. it, it I just love how this advice is kind of comes kind of naturally through conversation like this. That's great. And I'm sure some listeners that are listening to this, uh, this interview will appreciate that. Thank you, Adam. Sure. So the last thing to ask, like we always do is, uh, you know, normally we, you know, we do have a lot of enthusiasts on the show and they talk about their YouTube channels and social media, but you know, obviously you work for Zimperla, you're working in the industry, but anything you'd like to plug, just anything you want to kind of direct people towards. Yeah. So website zamperla.com. We are Z-A-M-P-E-R-L-A. Just so you get the spelling right. <laughs> um, so yeah, check that out. Um, on the coaster side, we actually have a separate uh, account for our coasters. You know, it's much newer. I help run that. So if you Google Zamperla coasters on Facebook or on Instagram, we're there. Um, also, you know, look up Zamperla rides on YouTube. We kind of have the whole portfolio for the company there. And then also, if you like kind of just nerdy roller coaster history stuff, you can look for me, roller coaster sales guy on Instagram. I just have this sort of hodgepodge of my travels and food and family and roller coaster history on there. So whatever sounds good to you, hit one of them up. But we tried and put a lot of new stuff and new content up on our uh, Instagram page specifically for Zamperla Coasters. So check that out if you love coasters. Well, that's awesome. Thank you, Adam. And actually, I'm going to follow a couple of those that you mentioned after I'm done with the interview here. So appreciate that. Well, thank you again for your time. Obviously, you know, you being the coaster guy at Zamperla, all these new exciting coaster models, you're busy, just you're moving. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and, and uh, kind of, uh, you know, tell, tell our audience more about you and, uh, and what you guys are doing at Zamperla. So thank you again. Happy to. Thanks so much for having me. Our pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see more of us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube.
all at Coaster Challenge. Links are in the description below. Thanks for joining us here today.